and welcome to episode number 211 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me today is contemporary romance author Molly O'Keefe. She also writes erotic contemporary romances, M. O'Keefe, and we talk about the differences between her contemporary romances, what it means to put the reader through the emotional ringer, and how she builds erotic intensity in her writing. We also have a listener email from Catherine who had a question about trends and groups of heroes. So we discussed that as well. Plus, of course, what she's reading and recommending. We don't have a sponsor for this week's podcast or the transcript, but the transcript will, of course, happen anyway. However, I would like to humbly say thank you for listening and for all of the reviews that you have left in various places for the podcast. Every time I run into a new review of the show, it's like, oh, this is so exciting. So thank you. If you would like to support the show or find out more about how you can contribute to making sure every episode has a transcript, please have a look at our podcast Patreon at patreon.com slash smartbitches. You can make a monthly pledge of as little as a dollar, and you'll be helping me keep the show more awesomer as often and as frequently as awesomer can be had. So many of you listening have already backed the show, so thank you so much for doing that. And if you have shared the link or had a look, you're most excellent. Thank you as well. If you're sitting right there thinking to yourself, wait, sponsoring the podcast is a thing that happens? It is totally a thing that happens. And if you're interested, email me, sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the show. And as always, I will have links to all of the books we discuss, as well as some of the articles we mention in the podcast entry at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And now, on with the podcast. Uh, my name is Molly O'Keefe. Yay! Uh, <laughs> that was it. That's all you have to do. <laughs> I, oh, okay, that's it. Do you want me to tell you what I write? Yes, all of the things. Oh, okay. All of the things. So my name is Molly O'Keefe. Um, I write romance novels of the contemporary variety and some historical westerns. Uh, I have written lots of them, over 30, I think. Dude, seriously? Yeah. Yeah, I started young with Harlequin. And so, you know, the numbers, like the years, they pile up. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so I think I've written about a little over 30 books of various flavors. And, That's uh, yeah. really great. Way to go. Yeah, I started when I was 25. I sold my first book to Harlequin when I was 25. So it's, it's, it's been the career that sort of has grown up with me for sure. Now, are you the type of writer who always loved romance and was convinced okay someday maybe I can do this or did you sort of look at the genre at one point and be like dude I can so totally do this get out of my way no I I've loved romance forever and I it was literally the first job I wanted outside of like being a florist <laughs> I wanted to write romance novels and I I made like I went to college and I got a degree in journalism and um which is wrote, like a little bit like romance, romance. yeah exactly. yeah well I thought that would be like my day gig and I would write romance on the side and that's kind of what happened <laughs> so you made a plan and then things went according to plan Weirdly enough, it's true. Whoa, it's so true. Oh, that never happens. I know. When I think about it, it's the only, maybe it's the only plan I've had that's gone according to plan. But I, I'm from the States, and I met and fell in love with a Canadian and moved up here illegally the first time <gasps> and couldn't work. 
And so I took classes at, um, it's a now defunct writing program called the Toronto Writers Workshop. And it was amazing. And it was run, all the teachers were like in the business, whatever they were teaching, they were in the business. And uh, mine was taught by Malavalik. No way. My romance novels taught by Malavalik. And so it just kind of grew from there. What did you learn in the course? Uh, write cowboys and write series. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose those are good pieces of advice. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there were other things, but that's what really took hold. <laughs> write cowboys. Write series. Write series. You know, it's not bad. It's not bad advice. It's kind of timeless, actually. It, it has proven to be so. So have you always written cowboys? Are there secret yeah. hidden cowboys in all of your books? Wouldn't that be something? Maybe. Wait, yeah. hold on. No. <laughs> there have been, off and on, there have been cowboys for sure. Nice. Yeah. For a girl that lives in Toronto, Canada. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. there's sort of hipster cowboys, right? Yeah, they're all like tending bar in my hipster bars surrounding me. <laughs> Surrounded by fake cows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They're wearing like those denim aprons. Yeah, totally. And their beards and their flannel shirts. They're making me cocktails. So you write under several different names now. Is it two well, names or three? Just two. Just two. It's Molly O'Keefe and M. O'Keefe. <laughs> yes. The very... very subtle difference there. Yes. So why, why two different names? Uh, so I was writing for the last few years for uh, Random House, uh, Bantam, and then Love Sweats. And my books with the Everything I Left Unsaid series took a, a decidedly sexier turn. Mm -hmm. So it was it was decided that that would be the smart move. That's my phone ringing. Nobody ever calls me. Oh, no, no. Everyone's going to call and come to the door while you're recording. That's what happens. My dogs are going to bark. Someone will come to the door. They'll need a signature. <laughs> random dinosaurs will walk down my street the dogs will lose their minds yeah that's just what happens don't worry about it okay so there I, i've turned it off um yeah so the m o'keefe books they, they're, they're just much they're much sexier they're much sexier do they still have happy endings they do so they still qualify as romances they've got the the happy ever after and they've just got a lot more going to bone town going to bone <laughs> So M. O'Keefe is a signal for extra more bone town. Yeah. You know something? I honestly, I honestly can't, you know, you read a contemporary romance these days and there's some that are, you know, they're either, they're either very sweet or they're very sexy. Right. Yep. I mean, there's, there's little in between. So I don't know. I guess you know, it was that's, that's true. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but that, that really is the case. Either you get like, wild gravity defying sexy times like bone town on a fighter jet or right. you get some mild sexy times not a lot not too much you know just and i used to think like it was a language thing like i honestly thought like the difference was cock <laughs> but what, whether you said cock or not yeah like if it, like it was just that simple but i don't think that's true anymore but anyway that's it's i think as things get as my books got sexier, we, we, we just wanted to make it very clear what, what readers were getting. I think that makes a lot of sense. Although it's funny, I wouldn't consider your Molly O'Keefe books as sweet because 
Um, you are, forgive me, the type of writer who really likes to uh, reach in, rip readers' hearts out, squeeze them a couple of times, and then put them back. Uh, that is that I've heard that before. And yes, I, this is not the first time. <laughs> you write a lot of emotional impact in your stories. Yeah, well, it's the that's the romance I really like to read. Like I, I really, I really, if I. Like I want to cry a little bit. I want, you know, like I really like The Ringer. I love The Ringer. <laughs> Has you always liked that? Is that always what you've wanted to write? Yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what your first romances were, mm-hmm. um, but mine were Elizabeth Lowell's, and I just remember that feeling in every book. That feeling where like your stomach dips, like you're going on a roller coaster, like yep, the yep. big emotion hits, and so I'm just constantly shooting for that. Do you remember what the first Lowell that you uh, read was? Oh, yeah. Um, a love song for a raven. Oh, which, that'll do it. <laughs> when you think about it, that's such a crazy title. Yeah, you but that also- all, I don't know what it, whether it's the song or the raven or both, but I'm like, oh, yeah, that'll squeeze all my insides. Yeah, both of them. Both of them. Tons of baggage. Super emotional. Loved it. Loved it. And I feel like, it, I mean, it kind of holds up. It pretty much holds up. It's weird how different books hold up for different readers. Like I can go back and read old Joanna Lindsay's that are still laced with all of this crack that I once I start when I can't put them down. And it's almost like I'm reading with two brains. Like there's the part of my brain that is here and now and in the present and is like, okay, you see all these problems, right? Because I see a lot of problems here. You see these problems? I'm seeing some, pro- okay, are you aware? I mean, this is like a problematic Napoleon layer cake that's like 19 feet high. And then there's my other part of my brain who has always read romance and sort of has the whole idea of the history and changes of romance. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Books are different now. It's great. Yes, problems. But Just shut up. See, Just shut up. up. Let me enjoy this. I'm going to deep dive into this crack and you're going to shut up. Other part of my brain. And then the other part of my brain just sort of throws up her hands like, okay, fine, fine, fine. As long as you, yeah, okay, go ahead. And then we deep dive. We have a great time. I had a, a friend who, um, a romance reading friend. And we, yeah, right. And we just, we kind of stumbled upon each other. So that's even more of a delight. Um, but she, I gave her my Elizabeth Lowell's because she had never read them. And then she gave me the Tom and Sharon Curtis books oh. because I had never read those. And so like I gave her these Elizabeth, I mean, like, and it was like we were handing our children over, like we were swapping children, like we were like giddy <laughs> and flush and like, oh, I can't, this is going to be amazing. And uh, yeah, like probably two weeks later, she emails me and she's like, I can't read these. I can't oh, no. read them. And I was like, you know, I don't. I can't really read the Curtises either. Like if, if you missed the boat at the beginning, sometimes you can't get back on the boat. Yes. And, and so when I, when I talk to people who are like, I want to read a lot of romance from the, you know, from, from way, way, way back. I want to see what the original romances that everyone talks about are like. And I'm like, okay, you're, you may not like them and it's okay if you don't like them. Yeah. They come with a warning for sure. It's like a whole other set of triggers, like may cause you to gasp horrifyingly. <laughs> Throw the book across the room. Yes. May cause is... you to wonder if you are on the wrong planet that everyone loves this book and you're like, what is this rapey asshole McAssholeness? <laughs> well, yeah. The the real... Um... When you come across a book that has some consent issues, I know where my line is, but I can also immediately think of like, oh, oh, I can think of like five people who are going to love this book. Right. I better write down this title and send it to them right now. It's not for me, but it's for you. 
Exactly. So when you're writing your romances, either as Molly or M, does the M stand for something other than Molly? Have you no. made up a second name? <laughs> Matilda. Right. Myrtle. Myrtle right. O'Keefe. Very sexy. The, the, the sexier writer, Myrtle O'Keefe. Magnolia. Magnolia <laughs> Myrtle O'Keefe. Anyway, so you and Myrtle, when you are writing, you have different levels of erotic intensity that you're exploring in under different names, basically. Is that yeah. a fair way of explaining it? Totally. How do you build erotic in- intensity? What are the things that you do to differentiate the erotic intensity? Because both the names have the emotional intensity. Like I'm aware that when I pick up either, either, either O'Keefe, not the Georgias, but you and, and M, um, my, my internal organs are in danger, especially the feely ones. I'm aware, like the emotional intensity is going to be there. How do you amp, amp up the erotic intensity? What are, what is the difference that you're exploring and how do you do that? Uh, well, that's a really good question. And I think, I think a lot of it. So I, I think what I, what M, the M books do is they remove a part of the character's life or plot that would be about um, family or job or, or you know, some other part of their life. And it replaces it with this big sort of uh, sexual question, like a sexual hook. So it, it's, I guess it's maybe a, a word count thing. It's also, you know, the sex, um, the sexual content, the hook, it sort of, um, facilitates the change in a lot of ways. Like it becomes the, the tool that, that creates change. But, you know, like I, I take my two sort of writer heroes, which are Anne Calhoun and, um, oh my God, I just blinked on her name. (gasps) Oh my God. Give me a second. Why am I forgetting her name? She's British, never sweeter. Who is that author? Charlotte Stein. Charlotte Stein. Right. There we go. So I take my two like writer heroes, which are Anne Calhoun and Charlotte Stein. You and don't I understand how big of a deal it was that I just remembered a name. I'm sitting here <laughs> amazed at myself like, wow, Sarah, it's a good day. Anyway, beg your pardon. Go ahead. Charlotte Stein yeah, and Calhoun. Already like the fifth name I've forgotten today. So <laughs> I think I'm heading towards my senior moments. Um, so I'd ask them like how they view sex scenes and the sexual um, plot line in their book. And um, Anne said... You know, something has to change with every sex scene. Something has to change, and that really, really clicked home for me, and and has continued to click home for me as I write. And then Charlotte Stein, in her way, said, "You've got to make the reader horny for something." <laughs> so <laughs> that's, those two things are sort of my guide. Our, our M. O'Keefe's guiding principles. Did that answer the question? Yes, it really does. <laughs> it, it, it's almost as if um, sex is the solution and then a new problem. Exactly. So it's going to relieve some kind of tension and make a mess somewhere else. Exactly. What are some of the the more difficult things about writing the different styles that you have? Is there one where you're like, right, if you're writing a Molly O'Keefe book and you think, Oh, you know, man, I wish I could be writing for Myrtle right now because then like I, they could just like rip their clothes off and it would be go this way. Is it hard for you to make the difference or have you already plotted out that the tonal shifts in each style? You know, it's funny. That's a, that's a really funny question. Um, so the fourth book in this, everything I left unsaid series is called wait for it. And it's coming out in February and it's a character that we've met before, but it's a standalone romance, but the, um, the heroine has kids. 
And I, I just have a hard time with romances where there's, there are kids where the kids aren't around, right? Like, or or aren't a part of the the story in Mm -hmm. some way. Like I really, I, I really like kids and romance novels. I'm, I'm one of those readers. So actually, so I, so I've got this story and I've got my, the, the sexual hook. I've figured out what the dynamic between them is going to be, but I still have these kids. And I found that, I found that to be like, I was like, oh, Molly O'Keefe would have a much easier time with, with this story than M. O'Keefe. But in the end, I think I've, I've managed the balance, but that was, that was one, that was one example of it being a different beast. Oh yes. Well, once, once any children are involved, the um, opportunities for fighter jet phone town go significantly downward. Right. Exactly. And it's just the logistics of it too. Like you're just constantly finding a babysitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where are the kids? Are they going to walk in? Cause you know, if they're going to walk in, it's the minute something really weird is going on. Right. So my solution which is kind of hilarious to me as I think about it now is that they're just always in a car. <laughs> all the hometown happens, not all of it, but a lot of it happens in a car. In the car, on the car, in the trunk. Yeah. Not on top of the engine that might burn someone's crevice. <laughs> you know, putting them in the car is a very good solution. Mobile bone town. Mobile bone town. It worked when we were teenagers. It will work again. Cars were a lot bigger then though. Uh, I, it is a limo, if that helps. Well, that totally any- helps. <laughs> you could, like, live in a limo comfortably. <laughs> right. right. There's different areas for the Bone Town. Yes. Yes. The Bone Town <laughs> has many, many neighborhoods. Um, do you have favorite books of Anne Calhoun's and Char- Charlotte Stein's that you're constantly recommending to people? Well, I thought Charlotte's last one, Never Sweeter, the one where the heroine uh, falls in love with her bully from high school. Oh, there's like, the tension. It either works for you or it doesn't. I and I do firmly believe that. And I think I actually really like those kinds of books where it really works for you or it doesn't. But by page seventeen, I was bawling. I mean, it was just so effective. Like she she killed it on that one for sure. So you like the books and you want to write the books that make you horny and weepy. <laughs> Like you're aiming for two of a very strange set of seven dwarves. You're you're aiming for horny what? and weepy, but not happy That's or dopey. My favorite emotion. The horny, horny and weepy. Horny weepy. And we gotta come up with a name. Weepy horny. Now I'm mentally designing what these dwarves would look like in a new like sort of erotic <laughs> Snow White. Like okay, what are there's horny and weepy. There's a emotionally um, emotionally frustrated. <laughs> no. So that that is that is definitely a thing that you write and a thing that you read because it's really interesting. I sp- I've spoken to a lot of authors in the context of doing podcast interviews, and one thing that I've heard many times is I never read what I write. Like if I if I'm writing this particular genre, I don't read it. But you read in the genre that you write. Yeah, I'm 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 looking for them. Like I'm looking for those books always, always. So I'm ready to take recommendations. If anybody's got a weepy horny book horny horny send weepers. it my way I'm, I'm trying to think of all the horrible names you could make horny <laughs> weepers weepy horny books weepy horny books. crying on the way to bone town it's a bit long for a series name what but about not- ann calhoun i have to say i i still think about liberating lacy which is one of the earliest mm. um erotic romances that i have ever read like i 
I don't even remember when I read that, but I remember it was on a very old digital device. Oh yeah. It, it yeah. was possibly a handspring, which ran the, which ran the palm platform. Like that's how long ago <laughs> as I, as I carbon date myself, I'm pretty sure I read that on some kind of an archaically old palm platform device because I had connected with someone who worked at Alora's cave and was like, okay, I, I've never read an erotic romance and I don't understand. What do you recommend? So she sent me like five or six books and that was one of them. And it blew my damn mind. Yeah. And it's funny, like in, you know, it's, it's fairly tame. Yeah. Now. Like it's very tame now, but, um, but still incredibly hot and weepy making. And I love all of her books, but it, it was, yeah. Like, I feel like it was kind of one of the first real big footsteps towards that direction. And it, it started it's, the yeah. relationship between the protagonists on the basis of, I would really like to have sex with someone you will do. Let's go right. do the thing. And then it keeps happening, which makes it more complicated. But the foundation of their relationship was, well, well let's take a trip to Bone Town together. Right. And that was all that was required. Yeah. And you still, yeah, I mean, she's just, she's kind of a master at those layering those things. in. so you're, you're reading Bone Town, but you're sort of like, oh, oh but what about, what about their childhoods? <laughs> you can tell there's damage there. Well, get to the part where they talk about their childhoods or Someone something. Someone needs yeah. to put a hot poker in the feels now, not yeah. the other things. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other Calhouns that you recommend to readers who are curious? Well, you know, she wrote that series where... It was, they were, it was a menage series. And so it would be, you know, the hero and heroine would invite another guy in. And then the next book would be about that guy. And so I think there were three or four of them. I'll, I'll probably be wrong about that. But like you were introduced to the hero of the next book as he was invited into, um, you know, the couple's drama. Like it was always a dramatic sort of, I mean, it, and I, I loved those books. Big, big, happy smile about those books. Lots of horny, weepy, weepy, horny <laughs> happening with those books. Probably like the pinnacle. Horny, horny and weepy. Yeah. The Seals Rebel Librarian? Those are her newest ones, and I haven't, I haven't had a chance to get those to those yet. What? I am, what? <laughs> How did I miss that? You've got to kind of respect that title. I have, I have deep respect for that title. <laughs> I can't close my mouth. Navy Seal and Librarian, like it's like the first. It's like the person who put peanut butter and chocolate together, it's and true. and I had no idea it was possible. To, I, I, I okay, I'm sorry. I'm one click buying. Beg your pardon. Shopping while recording the podcast is a very dangerous thing. The Navy Seal's Rebel Librarian. I am legitimately in awe right now. I know. I mean, it's, it takes like a, it takes a page from Harlequin's like, just, just say what's in the book in the title the and then titles. Like, puts it on steroids a little bit. And you know, what's horrible is I used to hate the hook titles because I could never remember them. They all sounded yeah. the same to me. There was either a tycoon or a billionaire and a boardroom and a rebel and a virgin and a bride and, and pregnant shame, baby mistress, I like it was it was like word salad and I could never remember the names of the books like there was one um silhouette desire by Maya Banks that I would constantly talk about and I'd be like I don't remember the words but you know it, it, they're on a beach wearing a yellow dress <laughs> with a red flower in her hair and I actually remember very clearly I talked about this at a book event in 
inside a uh, Barnes and Noble, like shortly after that book came out. And I, and I loved it because the heroine is the, the typical innocent virgin character, but she is the sexual, uh, um, assertive. She's the sexually assertive one in the story. She wants the hero and she is going after him, even though she has no idea what she's doing. And he's like, uh, what? I cannot have pants feelings for you. That's unacceptable. So there's this great tension, but she's the one who's like, nope, I know what I want. She has all of this autonomy and self-actualization and complete ownership of all of her horny feelings. Like I dug that book so much. Could I remember the title? No. <laughs> so I described the cover and I'm like, it's so good. And I'm going to look it up and I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Give me your email address. I'll, I'll, I'll email you when I figure it out because I know it was, that there's a tycoon or something, maybe boardroom, something bride, virgin <laughs> mistress, baby <laughs> secret. I couldn't remember. They were all, they were all the same, like 50 words. And I would never remember the titles. Somebody actually went to the section of that store and came running up and was like, I found it. Look, yellow dress, red flower out of all of the silhouettes on the shelf. <laughs> And the crowd cheered. Yeah, I was so proud. So proud. But I remember now, I remember, I made myself memorize the title. It was The Tycoon's Rebel Bride. Oh. Right? Yeah, that's good. Is it Going Deep by Al and Calhoun? That was one of them, I think. <laughs> All right. I, I catch the subtlety there. Right. The only thing that's missing is if he was holding like a, <coughs> excuse me holding like a really big gun or sword at his hip pointed at a slightly upward angle, that might make it more clear. There's one of them. Oh yeah, slightly upward angle. It's true. Very true. You know, the really quickly, the Harlequin titles. Um, uh, in the Toronto subway system, at the, at the busiest intersection, there was a, like a, you know, a, a store that had, it was probably the best romance bookstore in the city. Like, it, I mean, it was... So it was, obviously it doesn't exist anymore then. Yeah, no, it's gone. Of totally course. gone. They're always gone. It, but so, it was so top-notch. And so I remember I would go in there and you would see dozens, dozens of people commuting. And they would go over to the Harlequin Presents, you know, shelf. And you could just see them going, CEO, chic, uh, cop. You know, like they were just like, yeah, I like, I like a chic, take yep, the chic. Yep. Like it was just, it was the most effective sales tool for that time and reader they, like they, just, they worked it, they did and like that was i just stood there with my jaw open going oh man look at that look at how effective it is anyway i have a listener letter for you actually oh my god yes is that not the coolest thing that is really something i have a listener letter for you um a lot of the people who listen listen to the podcast listen while they're walking the dog or cooking. Mm -hmm. um, I know there's one person who is uh, a, does custom dyed yarn, so she's always dyeing wool and listening to the podcast, which I think is the coolest thing. That is cool. And there's people on the on the treadmill and you know wandering around or driving or whatever. So this is the email from this is from Catherine. Okay. I had some random thoughts about books today while out with the dog, which is you know totally something I do. Is the motorcycle gang the new Western? I met Molly O'Keefe at RT and I thought she was fabulous. <laughs> but I can't get my head around the bikers and read one, let alone dip into the book budget. I understand the group and the sequel like Regency Sisters. Is it the dangerous man? No one in the gang is ever like a boy. Is it the, is it the, 
the dangerous guy? What am I missing by not diving into this subgenre? Even though it's not my thing, I would really like to learn more about it. What is your take on that? Well, that's an interesting um, comparison to the cowboy because I do think very much it's about a code. Oh, I totally agree with you. Yeah, like it's it's a hero with a code, and it's and it's also sort of the appeal of the hero with a code that is just on whatever spectrum outside of the norm, right? Like, I mean, there's some motorcycle romances where the 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 code is is way far out of the you know the norm of the world, but um, yeah, I, I do think that that's it, and I, I also think that's an interesting point about nobody's a boy. Like, even the boys are men. I mean, it's true. Oh, it's absolutely true. There's a, there is a, and I don't mean this in a, in a negative way. There's a shorthand to character development when there is that code, because you, yeah. you have to be able to keep the code to even approach entering the community that does so. Right. Right. And I mean, and, and like, kind of like the, the cowboy, um, you know, there is a certain element of danger that, and I, I think that readers really respond to. And it's also a great vehicle for like, um, you know, a heroine in Jeopardy story, which is, you know, a perennial favorite. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that there's, I, you know, like a lot of things right now in romance, it's, it's the um, standard tropes like kicked up a notch or 20. Yes. You know, like the mafia thing, the mafia thing is so fascinating right now. But again, it's, the, it's a code and it's a brotherhood and you know, that's really effective for a lot of storytelling, I think. I think you're very right about that. I hadn't thought of it in terms of a code. What I saw was sort of the pattern of guys um, in a group that not only have this code that you're speaking of, which is really making my brain go all jiffy pop, like it makes me think of um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Right, where, yeah. Where they like, well, what do, you, what do we do if you don't get back to the boat? And he says, we'll keep to the code. Like there, there is an expected, there is an expected behavior of all of these people. And part of what makes that series so interesting is that there was a mutiny and there's there, all of the men are still dealing with the consequences of having not kept the code. Oh, right. But with, 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 um, you can hear my brain going pop, 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 pop. With, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. That, the Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. you have, you have boys, you have boys. I do. <laughs> I got a lot of, I am the only one identifying as female in my house right now. <laughs> even the, even the animals, all dudes, a lot oh, of boys wow. in my house. It's so much testosterone, although the animals are fixed. I'm not sure if they have testosterone, but they're all boys. Anyway. So with, not only do you have this code, but you also have a, a pack or a group of men that is closed, like it's not easy to enter that group mm-hmm. and, and be part of the code, whether it's the mafia or, or a gang or a Western or a werewolf pack or, you know, Navy Sweet SEALs. Soldier. Yeah, exactly. Soldiers. You also have elevated status in one or more areas. So either they're super wealthy or they have superhuman abilities. They are, um, have status or access to things that most people don't. So they are a step and a half above in some specific coded area. So either they have a bunch of money and they exist in a secret world of extremely high society, or they exist in a hidden world like the black market. And it's funny because there are some of these worlds that I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm totally here. I'm very curious. Let's read more. Like I cannot tell you how fast I one clicked on the idea of a SEALs rebel librarian. Like I'm here for both of these things, but I can't do gang motorcycle gangs and I can't do the mafia because I know too much about the reality of those worlds to suspend my disbelief 
and say to myself as a reader, like we were talking about two brains, the part of my brain that's like, okay, yeah, sex trafficking is a thing. I can't like my, my eager to read brain can't jump over that to get into the book. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I and think everyone has a different point for that. Um, my, you know, like I, my, my books while, um, sort of on the fringe of a motorcycle gang and, and I've, and I've had a couple of characters like this in other books, but I have, I have that same sort of problem. And the, the thing that is the most fascinating to me about writing them or thinking about them is, is, um, the reality of, you know, in large part in reality, motorcycle gangs are, you know, psychopaths to some extent, right? Like the violent criminal ones are dangerous. Actual violent criminals, yeah. you mean? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, With exactly. Pulse control and stuff like that. So my, the thing that I was really interested in was the men trying to leave it, like the men getting there and, and, and looking for a brotherhood or looking for something that is romanticized about that and then realizing it's not, you know, yes. realizing it's, you know, they're not brothers. So, um, that was sort of the impetus for the first two books and the, everything I left unsaid is this family that has tried to leave this motorcycle gang in various ways. And that was, I, I mean, I think it, it's kind of a sad, <laughs> weepy, horny thing. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to have to title this episode, Weepy and Horny, an interview yeah. with Molly O'Keefe. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah, I'm sure so whoever is in charge of marketing and publicity at your publishing house will be completely thrilled with that idea. <laughs> it might be. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's funny because that whole idea of leaving the coded brotherhood, like that was the whole point of the first Godfather. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want to be part of this. And against my better judgment, I am a part of this. Shit. Right. How do I get and out? The you know in Sons of Anarchy, the season when you know Jax is about to leave and wants to leave, like to me that series when he decided to stay, while you know a crazy poignant moment, had he left, wow, that would have been really like I'm a little bit more interested in that series that I've written in my head. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. That's I am sure that there is a absolute ream of fan fiction about him getting oh, the hell out. I'll bet because it. it, it deciding to keep the code is as emotionally fraught and complicated as deciding to no longer keep the code. Right. Right. Because you're breaking all the rules, even if you have really good reasons to break all those rules. Right. And it's funny how those, um, those, those themes keep appearing in different, um, you know, different subgenres that become popular. One of the things that's so interesting to me is how fast popularity cycles now. Like in, the, in just in, popular fiction or in, in, romance? in romance specifically in oh, popular yeah. fiction as well. But in romance specifically, the cycle of what's popular goes faster and faster and faster. And a lot of the times you see books that just sort of hit the popularity at the precise moment, purely out of excellent timing and being yeah. able to predict what the next rise of is going to be. And, and I remember years ago, I was asked to give a talk at New Jersey Romance Writers about trends in romance. And I was like, I am the last person you should ask about trends because I read the books when they're done, not when they're being bought by editors. Like, I see what's coming out, which was someone's good idea like a year ago or more. Right. And they're like, no, 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 no. We, we really want you to do this. So I sat down and had to think about it. And I realized that there's trends and then there's evolutions of familiar tropes. 
And those two things merge a lot. But <laughs> the guiding principle for me, which you will appreciate, is Bruce Springsteen. Oh, I, I appreciate it already. Right. So continue on. Pub- <laughs> <laughs> publishing sage, Bruce Springsteen, who knows right. all about publishing, whether he knows it or not. In as he said, everything dies. That's a fact, but maybe everything that dies someday comes, comes back. back. So you have paranormal, which was kind of dead and buried for a long time and is still now starting to show up again in different areas. But the elements of the paranormal are still there. You have the groups of people with a preternatural ability or access or status. You have what you were talking about with the code. You have a group of people who exist in secret. And a lot of the time, the tension of the story is either in inducting someone into that secret world or someone getting out of the secret world either way someone has to be brought in or taken out and you have that motif replaying itself over and over and over again yeah that's true it's like it's it it, it, what that's a really interesting point about how bruce springsteen knows everything yes it (laughs) really really does I'm going to go see him in Pittsburgh in a few months. <gasps> that's like a com- I'm. That's where I'm from. Where are you going? Are you seeing him in Pacific Arena? Not Pacific Arena. Mellon Arena. Well, yeah. Whatever they've renamed. The thing. The yeah. Ooh. Going back to the horny and weepy theme, Bruce Springsteen's like the king of that. He really is. Yeah. He's. He, maybe that's what I'm going for. Life I just is want to horrible. write a book Life as is good terrible. as stolen car. Let's go have sex. <laughs> <laughs> like Thunder Road is all weepy, horny. I know. Atlantic City, weepy and horny. Yeah. He is really the king of weepy and horny. There's so much about my life that is making sense right now. (laughs) (laughs) We have deciphered much about your writing and your psyche today. Oh, Bruce. I want to go, just real quickly, I want to go back to like the, um, the facets of different genres getting picked up and put in different places. Oh, yes. You know, um, I feel like the Kit Bruce Roca. Springsteen, the, the Bruce Springsteen evolution of trends and tropes. Yeah. yeah, I feel like Kit Roca has like capitalized that on that in such a huge way too. Like her books are such a mashup of so many powerful bits of different genres. That and it, which and parts it, do you see? Because it's interesting. Which parts do you see? Because I know that some readers will see some parts of that series and say, "Oh, this is why I love it," and then other people's will other people will look at the series and be like, "Oh, no, 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 no! I read it for this particular element." What are the popular elements that you see that work for you? Well, I feel like I feel like to some extent. So you have the um, like obviously that like brotherhood, secrecy, um, dangerous aspect of the paranormal romances. Mm-hmm. Yo, you know, yo. like the wolf pack vibe. Yes, the pack, uh, which you sometimes see in sports teams, especially in dangerous sports yeah. that could yeah. kill you. Yeah. And then I think particularly in some of the first books, you have the like um, innocent, to different extent, victimized heroines of the historical romance genre, you know, that get the damsels in distress who are way in distress. Right. Exactly. That, that is, you know, usually, you know, usually make up some of my favorite historical vibes with this incredibly contemporary vibe. And then of course, you know, with the, all every erotic element you could possibly think of. And I feel like that, like that's a really successful mashup for me. Oh yes. And it, it, It plays in a lot of ways with agency. Yeah. Because the way each character has and doesn't have agency creates additional conflict. Right. 
Ah, agency. It's so funny. I know. <laughs> I can't, like, I, like there are so many, like, it's really one of the give, the, the break, breaking points for me. Like, particularly, like, talking about the books that you reread and stuff like that. I can't. It, it, I will put down a book so fast if you get that whiff of, like, doormat or, you know, you know what I mean. Yes, the, the, the type of character for whom things happen to them rather than them right. doing things. Two-dimensional sort of. The thing that I have been craving most recently is genuine groups of women, friendships, like one of the things I love about the Call of Crows series by um, Shelley Lawrenston mm. is that all of the heroines are, I mean, that is her, the, the, the heroines are, they're already a sort of um, paranormal, superhuman, otherworldly creature set. Like they themselves are crows who are um, the sort of deputies of a particular Norse goddess, but they are each other's pack like they will defend each other they take care of each other they may hate each other but when when shit's going down that person will totally guard your back no question it's yeah that, I it's like... that code i, I want to see more of the code between women like yeah. that's what i'm craving that's super fascinating and i would be really interested in hearing recommendations for some well i can tell you that, that call of crows is amazing and writing good female friendships is something that I, I notice. Like when I look at my keeper shell, a lot of the books that I kept, even the historicals are about groups of women. Like I have a whole keeper shelf. That's like squad goals. Yeah. That's really fascinating. I love it. I love that idea. I mean, you think of the, um, Louisa James. Yep. Series, and Lisa Kleypas's right? wallflower wallflower yeah. series is, is centered around a group of friends. And right. so the idea of, girls or women in a code. And then there was another one I just finished that I just could not stop thinking about. It was called a uh, roller girl by Vanessa North. Oh, I know. I know. Did you read that? I haven't read it yet. Oh my I've God. Got I've got oh. it to read, but I've just heard so many great things. There are two things that I love about that book. One is that the heroine is trans and she's a former professional wakeboarder. So she's a performer, former professional athlete. And so she has this, fascinating, loving relationship with her physical body. Because right. She's a former athlete. She's transitioned. Instead of being um, anxious or, or angry or in conflict, she's genuinely friends with her body in a way that I just really admired. She's a personal trainer. So she, or she professionally helps other people make friends with their bodies. Like that's so amazing. I love that part so much. But then she joins roller derby, which is like a whole bunch of women who are completely fierce and awesome. And so she joins a like a like a crew, a, a pack of women who are doing this incredibly tough sport. You know, you need like quads of freaking steel right. to do right. roller derby. And so that those two elements, like I just loved that part so much. You are gonna love this book. Oh my gosh. You know, it's it's funny how how rarely you see that kind of like body positive yes. stuff layered. And it's hard to get there. Like I'm in my early forties, I'm 41 and I'm still figuring out how to be friends with my actual body. Oh my, do not get me started. Right. <laughs> and it's, and it's like, I, I have two boys who are in elementary and middle school and for young boys in a lot of ways, it's just sort of like, yeah, that's your body. That's what it does. It's fine. 
And for girls, the criticism starts so early. So fast. And the definition of what you're supposed to look like is so much more narrow. And there is so much just revolutionary lightness of being that comes with saying to yourself, well, this is your body. Let's work together and figure this out. It's one of the things that I'm, I'm most love about writing sex books, <laughs> you know, books with sex in it. Right. I, I love the fact that it's, it's continuing an education, not an education, a conversation that has been silent for so long. Yes. You know, we, so I had, I had my birthday. I am 41 as well. Hey, happy birthday. Girl- Welcome to 41. It's awesome <laughs> in here. The water is great. The bar is over there. Immediately my knees started to hurt. What is but, that? Uh, <laughs> what know. the hell is that? But a friend of mine who's had constant back problems went to this um, fascial stretch therapist and, and, the, and the woman was talking about this muscle and I'm going to blow the name of this muscle. But it, it, in women, it is the muscle that surrounds your uterus, your womb, like it weaves around all your parts. Right. And it is often where our fear um, reaction lies. And all of us were looking at her blankly like, I have never heard of this muscle. Like, how do we not know about this muscle. And I feel like there is so much stuff that we never get to know. Like we never get to talk about. We never, like I had one sex conversation with my family, with my parents growing up. And my Adam and I, my husband and I have been talking about how like this realization that we are constantly talking about sex with our daughter and our son. Like it is an ongoing conversation as they understand more, um, you know, as things come up, like we are, it's, and that's so different from what I had growing up. I, I, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but I know that there are people my age who are just like, yeah, one, one vaguely birds and bees conversation that was mostly scary yeah, and, and yeah. Um, off-putting. <laughs> you know? and, and, and that's, yeah. That, so I, I'm kind of delighted to be writing about sex in this way. Especially because when you're writing about uh, super hot sexy times with people who are going out and actively seeking sexual fulfillment with people, Mm -hmm. they are already in in ownership of, of their sexuality. Yeah. Like that's so revolutionary. Yeah. I feel like in a lot of the books that we, we, I say, you know, that we started reading in romance, you know, sex just happened to the heroines. Yes. It was was just upon her. And, and I, I just, I love where all the conversations are going. I really do. I like the conversation of dubious consent. And I like, you know, I, I mean, there's just, I like where all the conversations are going. I like the part where, 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 where readers can recognize, like I see my job as in, in one respect, helping people identify their, their reading catnip and then making sure they have plenty of it. Right. And right. so it's important to figure out what works for you as much as it is important to figure out what doesn't work for you. And so I can tell you that, like I said earlier, mafia and motorcycle gangs, they are not my thing. That is not going to do it for me. I have super strong negative emotions about both of those things that I can't overcome to read, even in a fantasy world, even when I love the conflict and I love the writer and I just, I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'm tapping out now. Sorry. That's not for me. I also know that my kink and my squick is not the same as anyone else's. 
And so if that's your thing, if that like totally rings your bell, more power to you. And I love that readers can have conversations of, oh gosh, that doesn't work for me, but not go to the point of, and there's something wrong with you if you like it. And I feel like the more, the more we talk about what people like and dislike, the better it is because there's going to be a book for everybody. Even if really dubious consent rape fantasy is your thing, that's okay. We got some of that. I can help you find it. It's not my thing, but it's cool that it's your thing. That's okay. It it, it is funny how you can't vault over your own stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the more I read, like my rut is pretty, like I, I, like I, you know, I feel like there, I've got more no's than yeses as, as a light, you know, lifelong romance reading fan. So that's why it's so exciting to have something come along like Roller Girl or, you know, just something that busts a door open that just goes, oh, look, you, this may not be your catnip right now, but just try it. And it, you, yeah, and it's a powerful, affirming, oh, that's why I love to read kind of feeling. And it's funny that the more books you read, the more a reading slump. Like for me personally, reading slumps, reading slumps scare the shit out of me. Like, what if I've read all the books? What if I've read all of them and I'm never going to find another one that I really like because I've read like nine and they didn't do it for me. And I'm just, oh my gosh, what if this slump never ends? What if I have to go do something else with my time? What if I've read them all? <laughs> Which is yeah, really it, ridiculous, it's, it's, but that's how my It's very works. funny to have, I have a few... Um, you know, I get, you know, um, reader, reviewer, you know, friend types who say yeah. that they save my books in case of emergency. Yes. You know, in case there's like, you know, like break glass in case of reading slump, which is a, a beautiful compliment. Like it's a, it's a lovely thing, you know, that that's, that's nice to hear for sure. But yeah, no, I can, I, I always, I always go to a reread. Like as soon as I hit the reading slump, as soon as I've not finished like four books in a row, yep. Yep. I go directly to a reread. Yeah, my husband sent me the Pew Internet research about book reading that came out today. So this is a very small sample. It was 1,520 American adults surveyed between March 7th and April 4th, 2016. So this is a very small representative sample. But one of the things that that grabbed my attention was that Americans, so 73% of Americans reported they've read at least one book in the past year. And then Americans read an average or mean of 12 books a year. The typical median American has read four books in the last 10 months, 12 months. Um, And I'm like, okay, I read 12 books like in the last month and a half. Right, right. So I am already way outside this data. And that part of that is like, what if, what if I'm so far out of the mean average that I read too much and I've run out? And then I look at all of the books that I have on my e-reader and like sitting in my, my cloud and then sitting on my shelf. And then I think you, you, you're weird. Just go, go have. It is a, it is a very real panic. It is a totally it's real totally panic. It's completely it. irrational, but yes, I have it. Yeah. I think that's a fair fear. Yep. And it being the, being the author for whom you can reliably bust a slump with that is a huge compliment yeah i thought so too way to go (laughs) thank you all right so last question for you okay what have you read recently or are reading that you really want to tell people about make sure people know about um well the uh the my book of the summer was not a typical romance do you read joshua jackson I have read a couple of hers, but I haven't read the new one. What's the new one? Oh, this wasn't a new one. This is called A Grown-Up Kind of Pretty. Oh, I heard about it. What did you think? 
I, I loved it. I, I wholeheartedly loved it. Like on my, like down on my knees, loved it. Like just really, I mean, she's a, she's, you know, usually a very hit author for me. Like I, you know, I, it's usually a great reading experience, but this just really married a lot of amazing elements to me. So that was definitely my read of the summer. I loved Sonali. I got an advanced copy of Sonali Dev's um, next one, Change of Heart. And that was great. I had a, I had a pretty good reading summer. That was a definitely good one. So I would say those two are my top of my uh, recommend. So yeah. what is on your uh, read next list? Um, well, I have a really, I have a, I have a very fun um, anthology that a holiday anthology that's coming out in October, and I'm reading all the stories that's in that anthology, and it's with uh, um, Laura Florand and Stephanie Doyle and Karina Bliss and Jennifer Lohman. and uh, so that's 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 coming out in October, and that's going to be that's really great. This every story, every story is a really solidly different fun, contemporary romance, like just good, good, fun, contemporary romance. I'm loving that book right now. I love a lot of those authors. What's the name of the anthology? It's not out yet, is it? No, it's coming out in October. It's called You Had Me at Christmas. And Karina's book, which I finished last night, is um, is uh, in her Rockstar series. Oh, hello. Yeah, yeah, really good. Um, married couple kind of on the rocks it's the bass player really yeah yeah oh my gosh and there's it's really good again and it, like it, it put me right in my happy place because there were kids involved but they weren't like moppets they weren't like moppets yeah they were they were a thing that had to be dealt with and you know she, she just writes with great heart and humor and yeah that's a that's a beautiful one writing kids who are characters but whose characters don't derail the story is a skill you know what i mean yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I feel like you can always sort of tell, well, you know, I mean, I think it comes back to the thing, like every character has to be a character. Like yes. every character has to have a, you know, a, a plot line to some extent, right? Yes. Like they have to be somewhere and get somewhere and there has to be some conflict associated with that. And, uh, you know, I think Karina does that flawlessly. I, I have like a list in my brain of people who are, um, who are going to like this anthology. Yeah, no, well, we, you know, we, we're all, yeah, I thought it was a good group. It was like a really good group of like my favorite authors. And, um, except for, I think Laura Florin, everybody kind of, yeah, everybody came out of super romance, which, you know, was a line that I loved for so long. So it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great anthology. that is all for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I want to thank Molly O'Keefe for hanging out with me and talking about all the things. If you have ideas or suggestions or questions, or you would like to tell me about a book that you've really liked or not liked, you can do one of two things. Well, you could also just, you know, open the window and yell, but I may not hear you. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call and leave a voicemail at 1201-371-3272. And tell us about the book that made you a romance reader or about a book that you're really excited about or just ask questions. We like questions. Maybe we have answers. Maybe they'll be the right answers. Next week, I have an episode of reader mail, reader voicemail, reader interaction, listener stuff. It's going to be awesome. So I hope you will tune in for that as well. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. 
You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater or on Facebook at Positively Sassy, and that's P-A-W-Satively, Positively. The music this week is Pete Bog Fairies. This track is called Nyup, and it is from their album, What Men Deserve to Lose. You can find the album and the song on Amazon or iTunes, and you can also find them on their website at PeteBogFairies.com. I have some compliments. This is so fun. Lisa, whenever you walk into a room, inside their heads, everyone in the room, including the cats, is thinking, yes, you're here. And I have a surprise extra compliment for Garlic Knitter, who does all of our transcripts. You do a tremendous job. Thank you so much for creating our transcripts every week. If you are wondering what I'm talking about and why there are compliments and what's happening, have a look at our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash smartbitches. There are various levels of rewards for different monthly pledges, starting with a dollar a month. And if you are supporting the show or thinking about it, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I cannot tell you how much fun it is to do this podcast every week, but it's time for me to stop doing it. Not the whole podcast, just this particular episode. So on behalf of Molly O'Keefe and M. O'Keefe, conveniently the same person, and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. <laughs>